Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Hey there, and welcome into episode 61 of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, where today my guest is Michelle Osterhout. Michelle is a wife, she's a mom, she's a 24-year career educator, and she's a community leader. Michelle is active in her community, serving as the vice president of the local chapter of the NAACP. She has been a city council member, and she is currently the seated superintendent for Margaretville Central School District. Michelle and I had an amazing conversation recently, and we talked a lot about what does it take to support new leaders in new roles. We had a wonderful conversation about the value of coaching. We had an awesome conversation about school culture and about how we never, ever give up on a kid. Michelle's got a very powerful story that you won't want to miss, and you're going to hear it all right on the other side of these messages. Hey, leaders, let's talk about school culture and professional development. What if we stop telling teachers what to do and instead invite them to sit side by side with us to solve the challenges we're all faced with? I'm talking about difficult parents. I'm talking about blame, outside pressures, and disengaged learners. School culture is critical, and I've got the formula to help you build the culture where everyone feels seen heard, valued, and trusted. No more boring PD. Let's have PD that inspires and empowers our staff and gets everyone working together toward a common mission. I look at what we do here at Road to Awesome as human development because this type of work, this type of learning, hey, it goes beyond the classroom. It goes beyond the parking lot, beyond the bus and the lunch line. This carries into your community. I was in a school district recently, and after the work was complete for the day, one of the district employees pulled me aside and said, Darren, we have to have you back again. This work is every bit as important as working on instructional strategies or diving into our data. We cannot forget the human side of our work, and that's what you brought today. Thank you. Hey, reach out to me today and let's schedule a conversation for you to share your triumphs and your challenges. Hey, we're all in the people business. And here at Road to Awesome, we want to help you get the most out of your people. Email me at darren at roadtoawesome.net or go to roadtoawesome.net and hit the contact us button. And now on with today's episode. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. All right, Michelle Osterhout, thank you for joining me here on Leading Into Leadership. Uh, definitely been looking forward to this conversation and continuing a conversation actually that you and I had about a week ago. So welcome in, my friend. How are you? I am awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been looking forward to this. I'm so happy that we get to do this and continue the conversation, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like you and I were talking just before I hit the record button. Um, it's incredible 
the power of social media and our ability yeah. to connect with people. You know, you're somebody I didn't really know a few weeks ago. And, you know, yeah. now here we are sitting out having this conversation on the podcast. So um, super excited about that. Uh, really quick, Michelle, just for people who don't know who you are, just give them a real quick rundown of who you are, what you're doing and where you come from. Sure. Well, uh, Michelle Osterhout, uh, I am from the Southern Tier region region of New York State. I live in Oneana. I am the superintendent of Margaretville Central School District, a beautiful little uh, town in the Catskills, really, right? We border Catskill Park. Um, and I have been doing this for about, hmm, let's see, let me look at my watch, uh, since August. So I'm a brand new superintendent. Before that, I was an elementary principal for four years. Before that, I was an assistant principal of a high school. And before that, for 16 years, I was a teacher. Um, more importantly, I'm a mom and a wife. Um, I have a son who's going to be 21 next month, a daughter who's 15, and a husband who puts up with me because I'm sort of a workaholic, <laughs> um, you know, always wanting As to learn. So. Yeah, as most superintendents tend to be, uh, that workaholic yeah. thing right there. Maybe we'll get to that a little bit too. Um, so, really quick, so you said some things in there that I want to, I want to maybe dig a little deeper into. So, elementary principal, t uh, assistant principal at a high school. Then you mentioned your teaching experience. At what level, what grade levels were you teaching as a classroom teacher? I was an English teacher, grades seven through twelve. Started in high school for the first three years, and then the remainder, like fifteen years or so, was um, middle school and high school. Middle school, well, middle school I started at high school. I started at then I was middle school, high school. So I've done every single grade level English teacher, seven through twelve. That's and wonderful. loved it. I loved it. every minute. Of it. Yeah. And when I was a high school teacher, I swore I'd never be a middle school teacher, and loved that when I went to middle school. You know, it's usually it the way that person. works. It does. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you look at you look in the eyes of middle school teachers, and there's something not quite right there. Um, and I was one of them. I, I mean, I say that like because I can. I that's actually where I started. And you know, my thought was obviously, you know, what what led me in that direction, and you know, kind of part of my origin story was you know wanting to be a head basketball coach. And um, so to me, it was you know always so I'm going to teach you know at the high school level. You know, I have a you know, secondary school um, uh, education background in science, you know, that, hey, that's what I want to focus on. But yeah, my first job, I spent five years uh, teaching at the uh, junior high level and I loved it. I really, yeah. really loved middle school. Now, I can't imagine going from high school back down to middle school, <laughs> but uh, that had to be an interesting, interesting transition, you know. I swore I'd never do it, but I was um, newly married, pregnant with my son. We lived in the town. So, you know, I had worked in one town, lived in another. And when the position opened up in the town that I lived in, which was my hometown, it was sort of a no brainer. Like, OK, I had a great experience here, but I'm going to be closer to home so I don't have the commute and I could be a young new yeah. mom. And um, I swore I'd never be in middle school. And I loved it. There's just something about middle school kids. They still want to please the teacher. Um, yep. you can, they're still very impressionable. Um, and I just loved it. I love the energy and I'm energetic. Yep. That's one of the things people say when they first meet me. Is, and, and this is really how I am. I just am just really, I love life. I loved teaching. I loved getting kids excited about learning. So it just, it was kismet when I went down to the middle school and I stayed there for a long time. Oh, that's wonderful. 
So, so you're a new superintendent. Uh, let's let's talk about that a little bit. You know, I, I remember my, you know, my early transition into into being a superintendent. And for me, I think you and I talked about this last last week when we were uh, when we were on visiting. But for me, I went from being a high school principal, you know, a school of almost 1500 students, you know, a school with probably 150, uh, what I call staffalty, so staff and faculty, and went into a district where I mean, I would see more kids before I got to my office at the high school than there were in my entire district. I had 425 kids in a community of only about 2,000. So yeah. I, I know for you, you're in a smaller community. Let's let's maybe mm-hmm. talk a little bit about your transition from, from where you were a principal to now being a superintendent and maybe even just some of the, the size changes for you. Yeah. So I was, so my last job before this principal of a grades three, four, and five. So intermediate school. And we had roughly 400 kids in that school. So imagine in charge of 400 kids, about 60 staff, um, going to a school district that's pre-K through 12, 330 kids, right? So I have less kids in the entire district than I had in grades three, four, and five in my old district. I was, you know, the intermediate school. We had an elementary school, middle school, and high school. So it's one building. So, and that was really the draw for me because I just value getting to know people and relationships. You know, at the end of the year, I want to be able to say that I I know pretty much everybody and I know kids and their names. And that was really important to me. And, And that's what it was like in my elementary school, a little bit bigger, but that, that was definitely a draw. And I'm from this area, so, you know, close to home, you know, the Catskill region of New York, which is a very yeah. beautiful, picturesque region, but um, very different because I'm not going to say that I worked harder as a principal. It's it's not harder. It's a different type of work. Right. A smaller school district, you have, you know, people who do many jobs. A bigger oh, school yeah. district, you know, people have sort of like a designated role or job, but, you know, I'm the yeah. superintendent. I'm the director of transportation. I may soon be the director of facilities. That's just yep. how it is here. And I come from a district where you had people that did just those jobs. So that's, yeah. you know, that provides even more of a learning curve that I have to sort of, you know, get over. Um, it's not just superintendent. You you are many things in a small district. Right. Yeah. So so that's that's really where I want to go to with with just wearing all the different hats. And, you know, I, I think a lot of times people think of the superintendent and, you know, that's the person with the really shiny shoes and, and the suit and, you know, and, and there's, you know, all these different things that they do. But most superintendents work in more, you know, district sizes like yours, like the one where I was. And, you know, it was amazing to me. So where I was a high school principal, we had seven secretaries at the high school. And <laughs> then I go to this district and in the whole district, we had four, two at our yeah. K-8, one at the high school, and then my secretary, you know, in the district where I was a principal, you know, like, like you said, I mean, we had a director of technology and we had a director of curriculum and a director of special ed and a director of this, that, and the other thing. Our district office was three people. Are my secretary, the HR finance director, and me. And yes, I had a facilities director, and yes, I had a, a transportation director and a tech director, but they also wore a lot of other hats. So mm-hmm. 
I, I guess I'm curious, maybe, you know, let, let's talk about that a little bit. Cause to me, that was just such an interesting change. I mean, you just mentioned you're, you're in charge of transportation. I mean, <laughs> how much of that did you know as a principal? How much of that uh, was like, oh my gosh, you know, all new learning here. It is. So, you know, as a principal, my big thing was I never left the building until I knew all my kids were home. Right. Very mm -hmm. rarely was I not in the building before I not leaving the building before I knew that everybody was safely at home. And if it wasn't me, if I couldn't be there, then there was someone else who was designated to do that. But they would still call me. Right. If if if, if a kid was oh, missing, yeah. he was never missing. They just went off, got off on the wrong stop. They would still call me yeah. if I wasn't at work. So it went from that to um now, just everything. I mean, the, my head bus driver doesn't make a decision or doesn't even answer an email without consulting me first. Um, but that's, but you know, in it, as a principal, you know, I just wanted to make sure kids were safe, but I wasn't responsible for the bus routes. I wasn't responsible for the stops. Right. If somebody had a transportation problem in it, you know, it usually was the director of transportation or the head bus driver. Um, I didn't have to deal with a lot of issues. And you'd think that maybe we would because we did bus a lot of students, but it was just a well-oiled machine. So coming into yeah. this position and, you know, being responsible for a lot more, it's just me learning. I feel very fortunate because even though we all wear many hats here, there's been a lot of support. So one thing I've noticed about small school districts is they're used to sort of I wouldn't say they're a well-oiled machine because I'm finding that there's not necessarily systems in place. They're just people who right. know what they're doing. They just they just roll with it. Like when you're tiny and you're in the middle of nowhere, you have to roll with it. And they just have learned to adapt and figure things out and make yeah. it happen. Um, whereas in a big district, and maybe it's just the, you know, the district that I came from was just like this. There were lots of systems in place. But I think it's yep. easier to create systems when you have one person who does one job. But when you have a small district and many people do many different jobs and you may have people coming and going and leaving and transitions, then you, it, it really just becomes knowledge and second nature, if that makes right. any sense at all. Um, oh, big, like big sometimes time. Sometimes I get frustrated because, you know, not frustrated, but like, I'm like, well, don't you have a system in place for this? Or just, No, we just do it. <laughs> but to right. me, that's exciting because that's an opportunity for me to create yeah. some systems. I, you know what? I, oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it, it becomes what I discovered was so much of it was institutional knowledge. Uh, the HR finance yeah. director that I worked with as a superintendent, uh, her name's Martha, absolute rock star. And I think Martha's retiring this year. And she'd been in that role for 34 years when I got there. I mean, she was the keeper of all of the knowledge in the district. Yes. And, but, but one of the, one of the systems that we started to put in place almost right away, I started noticing with her that yes, she was in charge of HR. Yes, she was in charge of finance, but almost everything for purchasing came to her. It wasn't like, you know, you went to the, to the secretary at the building, everything had to come to her. I mean, there was a point in time where she and I finally had a conversation because she was working till seven thirty eight. You know, at night we were in a four-day week. Every Friday, they she was there basically the entire day, and the issue was she was solving everybody else's problems, and so she needed that time on Friday to do the work she would normally be doing during a week, and and that was one of those opportunities for system building, where we were able to then push back into the buildings responsibility around purchasing. Yep 
purchase orders, you know, fulfillment of orders. It didn't have to come to the district office. And I know for her, that was just liberating. You know, I mean, there were, yeah. there were times where, you know, it'd be, you know, 405 on a, on a Thursday and Martha's like, I'm out of here. I'm going to go watch my grandkid play <laughs> basketball. And it's like, good. I'm so glad yeah. that we've built a system that could support her. Um, but you know, when you think about people like her and, and I'm sure you've, you've got a handful in your district too, when the time comes that they do retire or they do step away because it's so person dependent, Mm-hmm. It, it's really important for you to start working on building those systems because you never know. Yes. And, you know, that person who has all the knowledge in the district just doesn't come to work the next day. Yeah. And I've seen I've seen how that can affect a district and it just it, it really can instill it's chaos. It can be chaos. So, you know, I, and I understand why, especially like so you talked about how things are already just a uh, what did you call it? Knowledge? You call it institutional knowledge. Institutional right? knowledge, yeah. Institutional knowledge. Yeah. I can see how tiny districts do that because when you're in a tiny remote district, the people who are often there are people who are generational, have lived there for a mm-hmm. long time, stay in the community. So they, you know, you have account clerks and secretaries who've been there for 30 some odd years and some like into their 80s, like I'm not kidding, into their 80s, right? Yeah. Been there forever. And then in the bigger districts, because they're so large and there's so many buildings and there's so many things to them, you have, and I'm not saying I don't have to have a system. I want to create systems, but they have to have a system or they just really will not oh, be absolutely. able to sustain, you know, running. So it's it's just interesting. And that's the dynamic that I'm seeing, you know, the difference. Really excited about creating systems because it'll make people's lives easier, their jobs easier. Um, and, you know, I think that right now we're in a, in a culture like as an educational system where we have to be very mindful of creating those systems because we have a teacher shortage. We have people leaving teaching and education all the time going into the private sector. So we just really have to be able to make sure that we, if we lose key people, we have those systems in place so that we can just sustain what we have. You know, that's one of my biggest fears as a superintendent is um, making sure that I maintain my staffing. Because I'll tell you, in my in yeah. my region, we're one of the schools, one of the few that's fully staffed right now. And I'm going to knock on my door. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> you know, Better so knock on wood. Right. You'll feel very fortunate for that. Yeah, and I think I think that's one of the interesting challenges too in in small districts. Let's just stay on the small district thing. I, I think we have enough people out there who listen that are part of small districts, or or maybe are in like really big districts, and they're like, "Oh wow, I had no idea it was like that." Um, yeah. I, I had a very large district superintendent tell me once at at one of our state conferences uh, there was a handful of us sitting around together, and and he uh, he looked at the three or four of us who were in really small districts and said. Guys, I, I'll be straight on, straight up honest with you. My job is so much easier than yours. Um, he's like, not that I don't work hard, I do, but all the stuff you have to do, mine is very much confined to this because eighty percent of what you do, I have people who do that, and yeah. you know that was just such an interesting challenge. And, and I guess for me, it was like this really great learning point. And this is where I want to go with this. You know, when I, I transitioned to being. The high school principal, I've told this story on the podcast a lot, but, you know, it was my moment of breathing through the snorkel. You know, I just couldn't get my head above water Mm -hmm. because I thought I had to be everything to everybody. When I transitioned to the superintendent role, at least I had that experience under my belt. So I was able to say, okay, 
I know I don't have to do it all. There's really good stuff in place. I can't say systems, but there's really good stuff in place. I don't, I don't need to come in and change everything. But there was a lot of, you know, how do I do this and how do I do that? Because everything was person-centric. Nobody mm-hmm. knew the things the superintendent did. You know, I mean, yeah. yes, I could reach out to the state or I could do this, but but nobody knew those things because only the mm-hmm. superintendent had done those things. So I, I was very fortunate. I had a great uh, uh, partner and mentor right there in the county with me, a guy named Frank Reeves, who who I think is one of the best people I've ever worked with, who was really great to support me. What kind of support are you getting here in this first year to help you to be successful? So that's a great question. And I want to start it by saying I was more stressed as a principal, despite having systems and people and working in a larger district um, because of, you know, towards the end, we had started to get some coaching and that was really helpful. And it was a great district. It was just run differently than here. So to come into this and to have all these different roles that I'm responsible for, you would think, you know, I would come in really concerned, worried, but I immediately felt calm because number one, um, my regional BOCES director, Dr. Katie Huber, she's amazing. She hooked me up within our regional BOCES with a mentor. And it happened to be someone I knew because I network and I happened to know him. He was actually at my old school district and I knew him very well. And she knew that we would connect well. I felt very comfortable reaching out to him. So not only did I have um, an informal coach through BOCES, but we have regular cabinet meetings. Several of us are new in the region. So we sort of help and coach and mentor each other. But through NISCUS, the New York State Council of Superintendents, I actually got a mentor um, as well. And the school district thought it was important enough to invest in me to get me a coach. I asked for one. That was really, I was like, I really want to coach. I want to do this the best that I can. I want to learn. I love to learn, right? That's why we're in education. We love learning. And they were like, of course, we want you to be successful. So thinking of it as, you know, you pay a superintendent a lot of money. Uh, Coaching is a small investment to help them be successful, which is only going to help your district. So feeling super fortunate. And it's really interesting because, you know, true coaching and mentoring you learn from each other. And I am so fortunate because my um, NISCUS coach is uh, Dr. Phyllis Harrington. She's down from Oceanside, Long Island. She is the former president of NISCUS. She knows so much, very large school district, very different school district. You're talking Margaretville with a $12 million budget, right? That's tiny to Oceanside with a hundred plus million dollar budget. And so we were talking budget the other night and she she gives me homework. She gives me little things to do and she checks my, my budget spreadsheet and she, you know, she's helping me with my presentation and she's just like, it's so interesting to learn from you and learn how you're doing things. Um, And she'll, she'll, you know, it's just, it's just nice to know that I have the support, you know? And I think that this is something that's probably, I'm going to guess a little bit newer right? Newer of a thing that you'll yep. see all this coaching and this support. Because 20 years ago, you didn't have it. You're just kind of thrown right in and you just figure it out, right? I think about even becoming a teacher. Like you can go to all the classes you want, but you don't really know the job until you're in the job. <laughs> right. And yeah. I learned so much that first year as a teacher, right? First year as an assistant principal, first year as a principal, and now superintendent. Yeah. The difference is, is I've got a lot of support and coaching yeah. and mentoring. And it's amazing. And, you know, you talk about uh, say it media. louder for the people in the back. Please say it yes. louder for the people in the back, because, you know, for me, I've told the story on here, so I won't I won't belabor it. But, you know, me getting a coach as a principal 
was a complete game changer. Um, yep. I went from the guy breathing through the snorkel to, oh, my gosh, you know, I can actually be a leader and not just run around putting out fires. Um, it's it's why I do what I do now, you know, with with coaching principals and coaching, you know, district level teams and, and so forth, you know, all over the country. I love how you said it. If you're going to invest whatever you're going to pay somebody, you know, hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars a year, plus then factor in all the bennies and all that other stuff that goes with it, you're spending a lot of money on your superintendent. Mm -hmm. You're spending a lot of money on your principals. Why not invest an extra ten to twenty thousand dollars a year to ensure that they're going to be successful? Because the cost of replacing a principal, the cost of replacing a superintendent is astronomically higher than that investment you're going to make as a yeah. coach. And yes, I know that just sounded like a total shameless plug, but it was because <laughs> um, man, yeah. it works. It matters. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I mean, you know, I looked at the statistics. We just got our uh, superintendent survey uh, nationally and, you know, for New York state and the amount of people leaving the superintendency and leaving leadership positions and leaving just education in general. I mean, there's lots of opportunity. So actually now's a really great time <laughs> to be, oh, you yeah. know, to become a leader or an educator. But, um, you know, I think that if you look at, you know, we talked about the changing of the guard when I was speaking to my district superintendent earlier today, she's like, it's, it, this is what you're seeing. She's like, we've got a new era where we're just really supporting and learning and leading together as opposed to, like you said, the, the, the shiny shoes and the suit behind closed doors. It's not that anymore. I mean, I make it a part of my day. And this is one of the homework assignments that my coach has given me. Um, and I would have done it anyway, but she, she, you know, sometimes we get so busy that we get lost in the work and we may find ourselves oh, in yeah. our office for way too long. So I schedule, uh, you know, time to get out of my office. <laughs> right it's on I'm, my calendar. I'm fist bumping it right here folks you can't see me but i am like yes because that's oh yeah. preach it just keep going keep going i got this i got this a sing praises hallelujah and an amen darren so you know and it, it actually that is what fuels my fire because you get bogged down nobody wants to be in an office all day at least i don't that's not why i'm no. here so you get bogged down you get little you get bored so you know i go out and i especially the elementary kids, they just really give me life. They just, you know, they see you, they want to hug you all over you. And oh yeah, you know, it, it just feels great. But um, yeah, so you, the things that are important to you that matter to you, they're on your calendar. And, and maybe that sounds silly, but they're on your calendar. Oh gosh, no, you know? no, that's exactly how I did it too. And that's what I preach to everybody that I'm coaching too, that, you know, number one, be really crystal clear about what matters to you. And then number two, be really, really intentional. And the way you're intentional is put it on your calendar and make sure mm -hmm. everybody knows why it's on your calendar. Just putting it on there is one thing. But then when everybody knows, hey, this is what matters to Michelle. And she's not okay. just talking to talk. She's walking the walk, you know, by being there. Um, you know, there's there's a, a couple of groups that I'm coaching that, you know, we're talking about just that time in the classroom, you know, being present in classrooms as school leaders mm -hmm. and turn your radio off when you go in, you know, that walkie talkie, turn it off. Because if yeah. you leave it on, you're saying what's more important is the fire that might happen down at the office versus you being in the classroom. So, you know, that's why I'm just like, I'm going out of my mind here, hearing you talk about put it on the calendar because it is. Mm -hmm. To me, that's maybe one of the most important things we can do as leaders 
to be intentional about our work. Otherwise, yes. you just leave your data to chance. And I, I I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to I'm going to ask you another question. Um, if I started my day in my office, it was over. I never would get out. Mm. I had to make sure. Uh, and for me, two buildings as a superintendent, I was I was out front at the elementary as much as possible, greeting kids. You know, when parents are dropping kids off, I'm, you know, I'm greeting kids, greeting parents. Um, occasionally, I'd go over to the high school and do that. But if if I started the day in my office, it was over. <laughs> it was, yeah. I, I was going to go home. I'd look at my, my Apple Watch and I would have had, I don't know, like five stand hours, you know, maybe, you know, a couple hundred steps because you just get stuck, right? And yep, you do. the more no, you get out so and about. Oh, yeah. Even if you are well-intended. It's just so easy to get, there's always work to do. There's, you know, and that's, so that's the other point, right? So there's, the work is always going to be there. It's not going anywhere. So don't think right. you have to stay in your office to get the work done. It's going to be there tomorrow, right? Unless it's a pressing emergency and very rarely is it, right? You know, my, one of my things that I always tell everybody, if it ain't fatal, it's no big deal, right? I yeah, mean, you want right. to be timely when you, you want to be timely when you get back to people and you want to be available, but being available is also being present. So, you know, one of the, best mornings I had. So it's really interesting. I don't always greet students at the door. I'm not always, you know, out of my office. I do. I am intentional about getting out of my office, but I do sometimes start my day in my office, but you've made me think, you know, that's a great way to start your day because it makes you seen and present. And I mm -hmm. will tell you the last basketball game I went to, which was actually last Friday, I went to the varsity boys game. And, um, you know, the last superintendent for this district was a shared superintendent. So he wasn't, you know, as available. So every time I go, so every time, oh, it's so nice to see you. Oh, it's great to see you. It's really great that you're here, you know, and that, that feels good. That feels good. Yeah. So when people know that you're present and you want to be present and you're there, it just, it just speaks volumes and that helps you as a leader. So, you know, and it's not just yeah. events. It's being in your building or buildings, right? I'm, I'm fortunate. I mean, I can do a, a walkthrough of my whole building in about 15 minutes. That's pretty amazing. And, you know, at least, yeah. you know, be seen. Right. So, yeah. Just trying to so, remember to do that. So I'm, I'm almost going to treat this like a coaching call because I want to push on something that you said. Um, let's let, let's go back. So you're saying, hey, the work will always be there for you. All right. So let, let's say that I'm a superintendent who really has a hard time letting go of the email. So it's right here on my phone. So, okay, I can go in a classroom, but it's right here on my phone. How do you how do you manage email right now? Uh, I'm curious. I'm curious how you're That's doing that, and then we'll see. We'll see where you're at, because then I also might have a suggestion for you. So go ahead, talk to okay. me about email. So I don't respond right away. I don't respond after hours. So once I've gone home, I've gone home. Uh, you know, whether it's a parent or you know, if it's an emergency, and I've told this to my my leadership team, if it's an emergency, you'll call me, and they have my home number in case I'm away from my phone because I don't. Even though I, I say this, and I'm maybe not 100% perfect at practicing this, um, I always have my phone on me, right? But it doesn't mean that I'm always responding to my phone. I don't right. respond to emails at night. Um, and if I do want to respond to an email because something's fresh in my head, I'll schedule send. So, because I don't want people to think that you email me and I'm going to get back to you right away because, no, I have a life and that's okay. <laughs> so, for Absolutely. me, what's really important. 
what's really important for me is work-life balance. As a principal, I didn't have that. And I had to always be available. And part of it was the environment that I worked in, right? Like, I, you know, there were times, and part of that was the pandemic, that we had to be available. There might be a time on the weekend where like, hey, we're going to hop in on a Zoom call. And we're going to talk about whether or not we're going to go to school on Monday because cases are up, right? That's different. Um, but now I, I don't answer all emails. I do try to almost before I go to work almost every day, I try to clean out my inbox or else it does get to be overwhelming. So I try to clean it out before I leave, but I don't respond. And so and also it's good to do the 24 hour rule when responding, because sometimes you're heated and you just want to just take them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Absolutely. you know, but the schedule send is a beautiful thing. You know, it is. And and one of the biggest reasons that I would use it, and I really encouraged my leadership team to do that too, was not only what you said, which is, you know, hey, I'm not always at your disposal. But also the other message there is, I don't expect you to always be at my disposal either. You know, yes. it's it's definitely as a leader, it's a great way to model that type of thing. And and the, the suggestion I would have made, you've, you've crushed that, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there anyway for others who are like, oh gosh, give me as much as you can because the struggle being, you know, uh, chained to my email. This goes back to the calendar. Schedule when you're going to respond to emails. You know, I would put 30 minutes at the end of a day, you know, like the buses roll away. Okay, hey, I got 30 minutes now. I'm going to go actually respond to emails because then, you know, when I'm in a classroom, and an email pops up and, you know, I'm one of those who's tethered to everything with my Apple watch and my phone and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But I know, hey, I put time on my calendar for later today to answer emails. I can allow it to sit there because I know, hey, I'm going to get to that at, you know, at 4.15. Um, so uh, those are just, again, those things about being really intentional and, and taking the right steps there. I love the way that you answered that. I think that was just absolutely phenomenal. But but now I want to transition a little bit. Um, when you and I talked a week ago, you were sharing with me the, and I can't remember if you were the one who called them stay interviews or if it was somebody else on social media who's using that phrase, but that's what you're doing right now, these stay interviews yeah. with your staff. Talk a little bit about one, where did the idea come from? And two, what are you learning from that? Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, somebody else on social media said they were doing state interviews. And I said, Oh, my gosh, that's what I'm doing. I didn't realize that's yeah. what they were. But I mean, I think I had mentioned earlier in the podcast that one of my main concerns is just keeping staff. Not that I'm afraid right. people are going to leave, but I just know the climate of education right now. So I had my secretary, I said, Listen, I got to first of all, she's been here for a while. So she knows people. I wanted to start off with some people who were really going to be honest with me um, and not be intimidated by being called down to the superintendent's office for a meeting. Right. Um, so she put a but I mean, I think I've done four or five already and I've got a few more scheduled this week. My goal is to really get through as much staff as I can is I'm calling them in our time slots just to have a conversation. And it's really, um, you know, they come in and I'm like, tell me what you love about this district. Tell me what I need to know. Like, I, I, I'm sort of like, high energy. So they come in and they're like, what's this all about? And, you know, I just kind of throw out a bunch of questions and then they think for a minute and then they answer. And they have been so honest. The first teacher that I called in was um, one of my uh, high school teachers upstairs. And he goes, you don't, I said, I need you to be completely transparent with me. You don't want me to be transparent is what he said. I said, no, yeah. I want you to be transparent. There's nothing that's going to scare me. I love a challenge. I know we've got some work to do. There's a lot, a lot of wonderful things about my district, but every district has room to grow, right? And um, and he just laid it out, you know, and 
it just, it gives me an opportunity to reflect upon what I want to do and how I want to move forward. I'm new. So this first year, I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm going to be listening and observing. And um, I had a mentor tell me, um, actually it was an outgoing superintendent. She goes, you don't want to make any decisions that are not wins this year. I said, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it makes absolute sense, right? I'm on, I'm on probation. I'm brand new. So, um, yeah. you know, I thought, okay, that's a great, idea. I mean, you really do. I, I, I think the first whole year it's learning. I have, there's a big learning curve for me and just listening and being available. And, you know, I'm, I'm big on empathy, being an empathetic leader, especially coming out of the pandemic. And then some of my own personal experience of, experiences have created to me to have created in me to have that mindset. But I'm just learning what they need, what they desire, what they want. And sometimes what they want is not what they need. But, um, you know, just being available. And what I'm learning is that they are appreciating it. I I think they're appreciating it. You know, Um, that's the impression that I'm getting. And we're having honest conversations. Some of the conversations are about things that are wonderful to hear. You know, I'm hearing a lot of like, we have really great students here. You know, but then I'll hear things about, you know, I'm the only one who ever calls kids out on cell phones and hats. Nobody else does. And it's really frustrating. And I'm just getting (laughs) sick of it. (laughs) You know, all those things that every school has the same problem. But I'm just learning about them as people and getting to know them. And for me, that's really important. And that's one of the reasons why I'm here. Like I said already, it's a small district. I am a people person. I'm social. I want to get to know people. With that being said, I know that not everybody's going to like me, but that's okay too. I want yeah. them to think that at least I have integrity and I'm fair, right? So, yeah, you know, absolutely. it's really just about learning about them and what I can do to help facilitate growth in the school community and help support them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you're doing you're doing what I think are the most important things, and that's investing in your human capital. You know, I mean, um, what, one of my very favorite people on the planet – Fantastic speaker, Jocelyn's Renaissance ambassador, uh, Dr. Phil Campbell says, everyone wants to be seen and heard and loved. And that's what you're doing is creating that opportunity for them to be seen, for them to be heard. And you're setting up the conditions where they feel like they're loved right there in the Mm -hmm. district or continue to be loved because I'm sure a lot of them have been there for a long time. You're the new person. They're kind of still waiting. You know, it's we're Mm -hmm. recording this in January. You know, I mean, it's. We're still learning. We're still, you know, how much can we trust Michelle? You know, that type of yep. thing. But um, that's is really important. It's really powerful that you're doing that work. Uh, there's one other thing I want to touch on before we go to our last question. And um, I probably should have told you I was going to ask you this question. But when we had our, our last conversation, you shared with me something that I thought was really powerful. And you could talk about it as little or as much as you want. Um, just you being an advocate for students and and specifically the story you had told me i'm sure you know which story i'm talking about about a young man who was expelled from a different district and some behaviors there and how you were able to interact and actually build a relationship with this young man oh yeah that's you know that's one of my favorite stories and i'm still close to his family and i don't mind talking about it because i think it's really important because it has to do with you and i talked about this a little bit about also civil discourse um but Mm -hmm. and just sending the message to students um you know when you i I really don't believe in suspension I i i you know i don't believe in like punishment per se i really believe in changing behavior um you know a student who can I, can I say it? Can I just go tell the story? I'm going to tell the story. 
Yeah. Tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, there was a social media post that a student had done and it was racially derived and it was um, really talking about harming a person of color. And it was egregious. He was expelled from school and um, a lot of hate came his way. So, you know, I am a social justice advocate. I'm the president, vice president, president um, nominated for uh, the locally local NAACP here in our local area. And so when it comes to children, especially, I just feel like we can never give up on kids. Um, I hate the message that we send when a student misbehaves and we expel them or suspend them from school because that tells them that we don't want them. And this young man made a really poor choice of words, um, a real poor choice of actions, I should say. So uh, it's hard for me to talk about it. But anyway, uh, hard in in the fact that Not everybody will understand why I did what I did, but he said that he was going to harm a person of color. Essentially, you know, like this is what we do to black people when they don't do the right thing. And, you know, he shot a gun and it was posted on social media. So I share that because it's public knowledge. Um, But what I did next was what some people would disagree with. And I had reached out to him and his family because I really felt like what makes a child feel this much hate towards another group of people, right? many things, maybe the way they were brought up, maybe the media, maybe because he lives in rural upstate New York where he doesn't see any people of color and all he sees is what's on the media and it might be negative, right? So I reached out to the family and what really happened is is what I think is magical is um, I reached out to his mom. She was shocked that I reached out to her um, and she was trying to get him to go back to school and trying to get the school to, to, to allow him back in. And what happened was, is we became friendly I had series of meetings with him, series of meetings with her. He was like, mom, she's really great. She's nice. Why is she doing this? And it was just because I wanted to sort of get in his head and I wanted to change his mindset on what he thought a person of color was like, namely black people. And we discovered we had so much in common and we really weren't that different. And my hope was that I would change his mind about how he felt towards people of color. And I think I think I did. I did that. You know, we're still we still talk. I sent them a Christmas card. They sent me a Christmas card. I have plans, you know, to see his mom. And um, it that just to me feels good because I could have I could have changed something that could have been a really horrible situation. He was expelled from school. They never let him back in. And here's how I know the relationship with me and them was authentic. Nobody knows that they talked to me. He could have pled his case. He could have said, listen, I'm working with the NAACP. I'm trying to to change, you know, to change my trajectory. Yeah. I want to come back to school, take me back. But our, I feel like our relationship is authentic because he didn't use that. You know, he, he he's in a trade right now. He's moving on with his life. His mom and I still talk. We're still friends. Um, she's actually invited me to go horseback riding. I love horses. She has horses. Hmm. Um it's about relationships, right? So those are the types of things and types of relationships I would try to build within my school community and without, with outside of my school community because I believe in people. I believe in leading with love. I believe in giving second chances. And I believe in empathy. And no, no, ch- no 15-year-old child wants to do harm unless they've either been harmed or had some type of experience that you need to be able to tap and change and get them to see a different way. So it was just about taking the time to get to know them and them getting to know me. And I hope that that interaction has at least changed his mindset on what he thinks about people of color. I think it did. Um, 
and I would do it again. You know, my my own son was like, Mom, you don't know you don't know anything about this family. What if he wants to hurt you? What if he wants to? And I guess I just felt so compelled because it's a child, right? You don't give up on kids. I mean, that's why we're here. We don't give up on kids. And um, I'm I'm here to tell you that it had an impact. You know, I, I think that. I'm going to be able to go fishing with him next summer and we're going to have a great time, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's a small little change that can lead to big things, you know, eventually. And we have to remember those things. If I can make that kind of um, relationship, if I can foster that type of relationship with a kid who did something like that, then I'm hoping that I can instill that upon my teachers when they make judgments, um, presumptions about students who don't do their work, who fight back, who maybe seem to be lazy, kids have so much baggage and so much stuff going on that we just have to maybe not take it personally and be able to get to know them and find things in common with them so that we can change the trajectory of their lives. There you go. I mean, education is not just about math and science and reading and that kind of thing. I mean, it's about it's about educating a human being. I mean, we're in the people business, and mm -hmm. uh, that's I, I'm grateful for you sharing that story with us. I I felt really powerful about it the first time I heard you tell it, and I feel even more powerful about it the second time uh, hearing you tell that story. So thank you for for sharing that, Michelle. Um, let's let's move on to the final question here on the show. The same question I ask everybody here on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. What right now, aside from all this great stuff that you have shared throughout the course of this this particular episode, what, Michelle, are you doing right now to lean into leadership? Boy, you know, I think the most important thing for me right now as a leader is to know that I am, that I get it, that I understand. So being vulnerable and admitting what I maybe don't know. Um, I think one of the most powerful things that we can do as a leader is build trust. And you build trust by really not just beating around the bush. Um, if I don't know something, I'm going to find out how to do it. Um, if I'm not sure, I'm going to ask somebody. Um, and just being vulnerable, sharing that story with you. You're the first person I told outside of really close friends and family that story. And I felt really comfortable talking about it again now because I think it's important. I think it's important for people to hear. So being vulnerable and sharing of myself, and sometimes that's successes, sometimes that's failures. And that's okay, because I think that makes us human. You know, um, I, I can't say it enough. I'm not just that person in shiny shoes. I have patent leather shoes on, by, by the way, today. So you must have channeled <laughs> me somehow. You know, there and you I go. always wear a blazer. I like to dress the part. But um, I also like people to know that I'm real, and I'm approachable, and I'm vulnerable. I really appreciate you coming on to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Michelle, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much. And I hope the rest me. of the year just continues to be amazing. I'm looking forward to meeting you in March. I get to meet you in person at NISCUS. I can't wait. I'm going to be that crazy stalker lady. I'm going to be like, remember me? We did the podcast. Here it is, Michelle. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you so much, Darren. Oh, so much goodness right there in that interview with Michelle Osterhout. Um, again, I really appreciate her coming on the show, and I really appreciate the story that she shared with us. Talk about never giving up on a kid. You know, Michelle's somebody who in that situation could have had every reason to give up on that child, but instead she found a way to form a relationship and to make a difference in the life of someone else. And that's, folks, that's what it's all about. That's that's what we should be all about. It's always 
take the opportunity that we have to make a difference in the life of a kid. And now it's time for today's pep talk. So this is the time of year when people start looking for that next challenge. They start looking for the next job, whether that's leaping out of the classroom and into administration for the first time, or perhaps you're in some type of an administration or leadership role and you're looking at the next challenge. What is that next opportunity for you? I want to share three things that I think you should consider as you begin venturing down this road into potentially that next job. Number one, I want to start with just remind yourself to be grateful. Be grateful for what you have. Be grateful for the opportunities that you have had, even if the situation that you're in right now isn't necessarily the most positive situation. Be grateful for everything that you have learned in that situation. We can learn a lot from negative situations just as much as we can from positive ones. Number two, be mindful of fit. You know, when you're looking for that next role, you want to consider how does this fit my goals? How does this fit my family? And how do I potentially fit in this particular community? You know, I've changed jobs a couple of different times in my career. One time, I think the move was an incredible fit. The second time, I would tell you it wasn't as good a fit as I would have hoped it would be. So really be mindful of fit. Think about how your values connect to the values of that community, not just about how you fit in the school. And then number three, think about the long term. What is the long term goal that you have? Are you thinking that this next job is going to be the one that you finish your career in? Or is this going to be something that can be a stepping stone, something that you can learn from and grow from and has opportunity for you to do exactly that, learn and grow? So think about the long term impact of the decision you might make. Oftentimes, and I'm talking to you first time early career leaders, we want to jump on the first opportunity we get. But it's not always necessarily the right one. So again, remember to give yourself that opportunity to be grateful for what you have. Remember to be mindful about the fit and make sure you're thinking about the long term. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Get out there. Have a road to awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.